Welcome to the Shortwave Report. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. The Shortwave Report is a 30-minute review of news and opinion heard on the shortwave radio and the internet in Northern California. Listening to international broadcasts at home is quite easy. You just need a shortwave radio with a schedule of English language broadcast or a computer or smartphone with an internet connection. To help you with this, I'll announce times, frequencies, and website addresses at the conclusion of each series of stories. At the website for this show, that's outfarpress.com. You can listen to the past five shortwave reports, find advice for listening to shortwave at home, and find internet links for global news sources. Please check it out and tell a friend. In today's edition, you'll hear reports from NHK Japan, Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, Russia's Sputnik Radio, and Radio Havana Cuba. We will begin with NHK World Radio Japan. International efforts are underway to help the South Pacific island of Tonga. The Japanese Defense Forces have done more military exercises with their destroyer joining 10 U.S. vessels, including two nuclear-powered aircraft carriers and the destroyer. Iran says it is considering direct talks with the U.S. to revive the nuclear deal. This week saw COVID cases in Japan set new records three days in a row leading the government to expand emergency measures. NHK Japan. International efforts are underway to help the South Pacific nation of Tonga, which was devastated by an undersea volcanic eruption and tsunami earlier this month. Japan is sending additional relief supplies aboard a maritime self-defense force ship. The transport vessel Osumi departed from its base in the western city of Kure on Monday afternoon with about 300 crew members on board. High-pressure cleaning machines to remove volcanic ash were loaded onto the ship along with drinking water and other supplies. The Osumi is also carrying a hovercraft and a CH-47 transport helicopter in case Tonga's ports are damaged or inaccessible. The vessel is due to arrive off the country's coast in about two weeks. Last Thursday, Japan's Defense Ministry dispatched two Air Self-Defense Force C-130 transport aircraft to Tonga to deliver drinking water. Japan's Maritime Self-Defense Force says it conducted a joint exercise with the U.S. Navy in waters south of Okinawa. The joint exercise is apparently aimed at displaying strong Japan-U.S. ties amid China's increasing maritime activities. The MSDF said its its destroyer, Huga, took part in the drill, which ran from Monday through Saturday. It said the U.S. Navy sent 10 vessels, including two aircraft carriers, the USS Carl Vincent and the USS Abraham Lincoln, as well as a destroyer and an amphibious assault ship. It is unusual for the U.S. military to send multiple aircraft carriers from bases on the U.S. mainland to waters around Japan. In December, Japan's defense ministry said aircraft were observed taking off from and landing on a Chinese aircraft carrier sailing in the waters, which was seen as military training. Iran's foreign minister says his country will consider direct talks with the United States on the issue of reviving the controversial nuclear deal. 
Hossein Amir Abdullahian spoke to reporters in Tehran on Monday. He said Iran will now consider speaking directly to the U.S. if it becomes necessary. If we get to a stage where reaching a good deal with strong guarantees necessitates direct talks with the U.S., we will consider this in the agenda that we will have in the negotiations to lift sanctions. The foreign minister noted that the U.S. has been calling for the direct talks, but Tehran had previously ruled that out. The countries have been speaking indirectly, with the EU and other parties acting as mediators. The U.S. and Iran have been in a standoff on the issue since 2018. That's when former U.S. President Donald Trump unilaterally withdrew from the nuclear deal with Iran and reimposed sanctions. Here in Japan, coronavirus cases are shooting up across the nation. Officials have confirmed a record total for the third consecutive day. The daily count topped 70,000 for a second day in a row. 537 people are in serious condition. That's up 67 from Wednesday. More than half of Japan's 47 prefectures saw record daily infections, including Tokyo. New cases in the capital almost doubled from the same day last week. The central government has expanded quasi-emergency measures to curb the spread and save the medical system from being overwhelmed. These restrictions took effect Thursday in 18 more prefectures, including Osaka and Hokkaido. They're now in place in 34 prefectures. Those reports were from NHK World Radio Japan, now heard from 8.30 to 9 p.m. at 7.245 and 9.865 or on the web at www.3.nhk.or.jp. All the times I announce are for Pacific Standard Time, so please adjust them to your time zone. Next, Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. Germany is also reporting new record numbers of COVID cases while putting off a final decision on mandatory vaccinations. Then, brief reports on a border wall in Poland women demanding abortion rights in Ecuador, the Taliban held talks with Western nations in Norway, the military seized power in Burkina Faso, and the High Court in Britain ruled Julian Assange can appeal to the Supreme Court. Boris Johnson is under more pressure to resign over parties he attended during lockdown. Germany has been criticized for refusing to step up arms deliveries to Ukraine. How important are more weapons in Ukraine? Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. Germany has seen another record number of new COVID-19 infections. The country's disease control center, the Robert Koch Institute, registered more than 203,000 new cases in a single 24-hour period. That's around 70,000 more than the same period last week. Experts say the increase has been driven largely by the Omicron variant. 
The U.S. has shipped 400 million COVID-19 vaccine doses to countries in need, part of its pledge to donate more than a billion doses to low-income countries. Sweden is extending current coronavirus restrictions by another two weeks. Meanwhile, neighboring Denmark is moving to lift most restrictions and announced that it no longer considers COVID-19 a socially critical disease. And Eastern European countries, including Poland, Hungary, and the Czech Republic, have all hit their highest infection rates of the pandemic. The region does have some of Europe's lowest vaccination rates. German lawmakers held a first debate on making vaccines mandatory to slow the spread of COVID-19. Chancellor Olaf Scholz backs compulsory jabs for adults, but his three-party coalition is divided over the proposal. A potential mandate law is not expected to be agreed before the summer. Poland has begun the construction of a wall along its eastern border with Belarus. The 186-kilometer-long wall is aimed at deterring migrant crossings after thousands attempted to enter Poland last year. Warsaw accuses Belarusian authorities of encouraging migrants to fly to Minsk and then helping them reach the EU border. Women have taken to the streets of Quito, Ecuador to call for legalized abortion. Last June, the Constitutional Court discriminized, uh, decriminalized rather, pregnancy terminations, but only in cases of rape. Conservative President Guillermo Lasso has announced he will veto any abortion bill that goes beyond that ruling. The last day of talks between a Taliban delegation and Western diplomats is underway in Oslo. Tuesday's meetings include non-governmental organizations and are focusing largely on humanitarian aid and greater inclusivity. Aid groups estimate that nearly 9 million people in Afghanistan are on the brink of starvation. Burkina Faso's military junta has met with members of the ousted government. The former ministers have been ordered not to leave the country without permission. The military seized power on Monday and detained Burkina Faso's democratically elected leader. The coup has been condemned internationally. Britain's High Court has ruled that WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange can appeal to the Supreme Court against his extradition to the U.S. He is wanted there for WikiLeaks publication of hundreds of thousands of leaked documents relating to the Afghanistan and Iraq wars. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson is bracing for the results of a report that could spell the end of his time in office. An internal investigation is looking into his participation in a series of parties that took place while millions in the UK were enduring coronavirus lockdowns. On Wednesday, Johnson faced a fresh grilling in Parliament over the scandal that's become known as Partygate. But he once again refused to step down. I would prefer to be led by a lawyer than a liar. Will he now resign? Anger ran high in the UK Parliament as MPs questioned Prime Minister Boris Johnson. Opposition leaders want Johnson to resign, saying that he lied to the parliament. Whatever he says in his statement later today or tomorrow won't change the facts. Isn't this a prime minister and a government that have shown nothing but contempt for the decency, honesty and respect that define this country? Mr. Speaker, uh, we love this country and we're doing everything in our power to help this country. And, and of, of, course, of course he wants me out of the way, Mr. Speaker. Of course, of course he wants me out of the way. Uh, he does. Uh, and I, I can't, and many
many people, of course, of course, I, I don't deny it uh, I, for all sorts of reasons. Many people may want me out of the way, but I tell you the reason he wants me out of the way is because he knows that this government can be trusted to deliver. The UK leader is in a political crisis over allegations that he attended parties during lockdown. Johnson wants to continue in office, whereas other MPs believe he has become a distraction from other important issues facing the UK. Every nick is sucking attention from the real issues facing the public. Tory cuts, Brexit and the soaring cost of living have pushed millions of families into poverty. It is time to get this over with. Show the Prime Minister the door. Public trust in Johnson's leadership is at an all-time low. One poll suggests that two-thirds of the British want him to resign. No one should be above the law, even the Prime Minister. And again, it was his birthday on the 19th of June. My baby was eight days old. My mother couldn't travel over to come and see her. She didn't meet her grandchild until the child was, you know, six months old because of restrictions and, you know, all that, all that kind of stuff. The findings of an internal investigation headed by civil servant Sue Gray are expected soon. MPs from Johnson's party are waiting on that to decide whether to hold a no-confidence vote. Now, several countries have stepped up arms deliveries to Ukraine. Germany has so far refused. How important are these arms deliveries for Ukraine's defenses? I think that they have two main uh, two two main benefits for the Ukrainian side. One is, of course, that it's a signal that Ukraine has the support of the West in in more than words. That's important here. That's a signal to Moscow as well. And the other one is that these weapons—they're mostly uh, weapons that are lightweight weapons that can be deployed easily and quickly to the front, and that would increase the damage that Ukraine can inflict on an invading army. Um, there is no illusion that Ukraine could somehow defeat the Russians, but it could make an invasion more costly. So all these weapons are meant to raise the cost of an invasion. Matthias, thank you very much. DW's Matthias Berlinger in Kiev. Those reports were from Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, which may be heard at a combined audio-video website, DW.com, as well as on YouTube at their channel called DW News. Next, Sputnik Radio. On his program called Going Underground, Afshin Ratansi spoke with legendary journalist John Pilger. John describes the distortion of the Ukraine story as presented in Western media similar to the lies preceding their Iraq invasion. He says all major wars have started following deceptions. He talks about the need for enemies, the profound cynicism that works in geopolitics, and who helped overthrow Ukraine in 2014. Sputnik Radio. From here in London is filmmaker and legendary journalist John Pilger. Certainly in the Ukraine at the moment, it's probably one of the most distorted stories I can ever remember. I mean, first of all, if you look at it, the Russians, who are said to be the aggressors and about to be invaded, Russian troops are actually in Russia. U.S. missiles surround Russia. Uh, British troops are on the borders of Russia. NATO troops are on the borders of Russia. NATO troops surround 
Russia, from Slovenia, all the way down. So the aggression, the potential aggression, appears to be almost certainly on one side, but it's, it's never reported that way. And that's why propaganda is so important at the moment. What do you see as, uh, as this uh, prevalent view now that uh, war is inevitable, as it were, even while the rest of the world uh, sees this is not really about the protection of ordinary Ukrainians. Um, why not sanctions against Saudi Arabia for human rights abuses, for instance? It's being presented as a human rights issue that we need to protect Ukraine from Russia. What you've just said, the whole risk of war and war with the second biggest nuclear armed power on Earth, the whole possibility of that, I don't know whether it's inevitable or not, certainly starting to look like that, but the possibility, the fact that that is not an issue, an issue before the country with all the the ramifications, with all the, uh, the components of it spelled out to people so that they understand exactly what's happened, so that they understand the deception that has led to this. And all wars, all certainly all major wars, have started following deceptions. We don't have to go back far. The invasion of Iraq was based on a major deception, a lie. And if there is any kind of war with Russia over Ukraine, or really over its right to defend its borders, the very same borders through which Hitler stormed in the 1940s, whether it has that right or not, there's no discourse, there's no dialogue about. There is between us, but wider on the media there isn't. It's a terribly dangerous time. And if this danger passes, the danger, which is almost like a movable feast, will then go to China. Because anybody who really studies the so-called foreign policies of the United States and its allies stroke vassals, such as the United Kingdom, will know that an enemy is essential. Whether or not they're an enemy is beside the point. They're not. There's no, there's no real enemies of the UK and the world and there's no real enemies of the United States. But an enemy is needed. So we'll move from Russia to China. We, we really have to understand that. We have to understand the, the profound cynicism that works in geopolitics. It's not a sort of academic game. It's something that affects all our lives. And we have the right to comprehend it. And you know, ordinary people whose lives are filled with all sorts of other things also have the right to understand it beyond headlines that give only one side, one view. As I read in some poll the other day, one of the most popular people in the world today is Barack Obama. There was Barack Obama who effectively overthrew the elected government in Ukraine in 2014 uh, and allowed it to be replaced with an anti-Russian, aggressive regime. That came as a result of Obama's people, his vice president, Biden, one of his senior 
secretaries, Victoria Newland, actually a conspiracy, which I think it was Newland said, the price tag on it was $5 billion. We got the government and Ukraine change. That has brought NATO, the US, the UK, right up to the border of Russia. Imagine the reverse. Imagine a Russian presence right up to the Canadian border with the United States or the Mexican border. It's the refusal to understand, to reverse it, to put ourselves in the position of a country that lost 20-odd million people in the Second World War, that history, whoever's in charge in, in Russia, that's been my experience of being in Russia and in the Soviet Union, that history is like a presence. It influences almost everything. History has no presence in the United States. It's a kind of a permanent illusion. It does in this country, which makes the cynicism even more rather desperate in the United Kingdom that should go along with these dangerous games. John Pilger, thank you. That excerpted interview was by Afshin Ritansi from his program called Going Underground on Sputnik Radio, the current name for the voice of Russia, available online at rt.com and on YouTube, search for Going Underground. If you have questions or comments about the shortwave report or could assist me by supporting this listener-funded program, I may be reached through the website and PayPal or by writing to Dan Roberts at P.O. Box 1162, Willits, California, 95490. Please help me continue producing this weekly show, which I freely distribute to radio stations and the Internet, like a listener in Willits, California did this week. Many thanks. The shortwave report has experienced a huge surge in podcast downloads, leading to a need to change the podcast address. It is still accessible through the outfarpress.com website, but the podcast address is now at podbean.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and most podcast hosts. So if you do get this program as a podcast through my website, you can easily update the podcast address at outfarpress.com. We will conclude with Radio Havana, Cuba. Two reports on the vastly increased bombing of Yemen by Saudi forces, which has been condemned by the United Nations. Then a viewpoint on U.S. efforts to heat up the new version of the Cold War. Radio Havana, Cuba. In the latest act of aggression by the Riyadh regime against an impoverished nation, the United Nations has condemned an airstrike that killed dozens of people in Yemen's northern province of Sa'adda by a Saudi-led coalition. Warplanes of the Saudi-led military pounded a detention center in Sa'adda on Friday, killing at least 70 people and injuring 140 others. Reports say that the death toll is expected to rise since many of the wounded were seriously injured.
In response, UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres' spokesman, Stefan Duharic, said that the United Nations chief had condemned, quote, airstrikes launched earlier today by the Saudi-led coalition against a detention center in Sa'ada City. Duharic went on to say that further airstrikes were carried out by the invading coalition elsewhere in Yemen on Friday, leading to deaths and injuries among civilians, including children. Yemen's Al Nasira television network has reported that Saudi warplanes have carried out as many as 50 airstrikes against various districts in the war-torn country in just 24 hours. The air raids started on Tuesday and lasted until early Wednesday. The TV network identified the targeted locations as the Jabal Habashi district in Taiz province. This lies at Yemen's extreme southwest. Also the Al-Thawra, Sanhan, Al-Sabaha and Al-Sabain districts in the west central province of Sana'a. During the same time span, Saudi aircraft also targeted 37 occasions the western provinces of Mahrib, Shabwa and Al-Jawf. Enjoying complete arms, logistical and political backing from the United States, Saudi Arabia has led many of its allies, chief amongst them the UAE, in a 2015 to present invasion of Yemen. The war seeks to exchange Yemen's ruling structure in favor of its former Riyadh-friendly aspect. The military campaign has killed tens of thousands of Yemenis and has made Yemen the scene of the world's worst humanitarian crisis. The United States President Joseph Biden and some of his top officials are doing everything they can to heat up the latest episode of the new Cold War, which targets the government and people of Russia and could lead humanity to catastrophe. The current situation is reminiscent of the whole setup that took place in 2002 and the first months of 2003 to justify the aggression against Iraq particularly the blatant lies told by then-President George W. Bush and his followers, including General Colin Powell. The whole world was witness to these hoaxes, which stated that the Mesopotamian country possessed weapons of mass destruction without ever presenting a single shred of evidence to back up such nonsense. The scenario we are living today is the same as Biden, his Secretary of State Antony Blinken, and their allies in Western Europe, who serve as their sounding board, claim that Russia is about to invade Ukraine without any evidence to that effect. It's true that Moscow mobilized troops towards its neighbor's borders, but that was only after NATO, the Pentagon's arm, pushed the war frontiers and not with good intentions. As President Vladimir Putin said, what would the United States have done if foreign forces were suddenly mobilized for hostile purposes on the borders with Canada and Mexico? What's more, Washington has troops almost everywhere in the world, including military bases with weapons of mass destruction. I'm talking about atomic bombs in operational status, that is to say, ready to be launched. In a recent press conference on the occasion of his first year in office, Biden assured that any entry of Russian troops into Ukrainian territory would be considered an invasion. At the time, that Blinken refused to offer written security guarantees to Moscow. The curious thing is that no one, absolutely no one, has ever heard Putin or any member of his government threaten to invade Ukraine. Not at all. On the contrary, the Russian president and his officials have tired of repeating that they have no intention of committing such a blunder.
However, this cannot be said of the White House, which allocated $800 million in arms to the Kiev government and a few hours ago authorized Latvia, Estonia and Lithuania to send U.S. origin arsenals to that country. If one looks with indifference, the only one playing a war in that area and telling lies about it is Biden, who has no idea what would happen if he opens the gates of hell. Those reports were from Radio Havana, Cuba. Cuba's website is working well at radiohc.cu, but the podcast links are not updated. On shortwave, Cuba may be heard from noon to 1 p.m. at 15140, and from 5 p.m. to 11 at either 6000, 6060, or 6100. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people like you to listen to international broadcasts, get a global perspective. Every Thursday evening, I post a new shortwave report at the website for this show. That's out farpress.com At my website you can also listen to past shows. Please consider making a safe donation online through PayPal. There's a link at my website along with a podcast link, newly updated, and get advice for listening at home. The shortwave report, which is now in its 25th year of production, remains free to rebroadcast upon notification. The shortwave report is produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California using solar panels. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.